than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, this amazing stranger from the planet Krypton, the man of steel, Superman. Possessing remarkable physical strength, Superman fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice, disguised as a mild-mannered newspaper reporter, Clark Kent. Hello and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and at this point, I think I'm pretty much on the record for saying that the comic book industry is pretty much done for, right? Uh, I think specifically DC Comics, I don't think there's anything that really can save them at this point. Look, it's not like I know everything. Maybe I'm going to be shown to be wrong. I don't really know. But if I were a betting man, I would say that by the beginning of the year 2021, DC Comics, as we knew it, will no longer exist. We're going to see if I'm right about that or not. But if it turns out that I pretty much called it, that I've predicted this, well, I won't really be all that surprised. You know, it's just I don't see how things can continue as they were. And I think that would be the case with or without COVID-19. That's just COVID-19. I think that that's going to make official what had probably been unofficial up to that point. But again, we'll see. So it's worth it to ask if DC Comics goes out of business, what happens then? And honestly, when I say go, guys, when I, when I say DC Comics goes out of business, what I mean is it ceases creating new comics, all right? You're not going to be able to go out there anymore and buy uh, comics that have the DC logo on them, probably. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe we'll see. But it's not like the parent companies of D, the various parent companies of, uh, of DC are, are gonna sell off the characters. That's probably the furthest thing from their mind. Comic books, I imagine, will still come out that feature DC characters. My suspicion is that it's gonna alternately be reprints and new stuff that's created by other publishers, right? So maybe, maybe Dynamite is gonna publish uh, certain DC characters, or maybe Boom Studios, or just whoever, right? And it's enough to make me wonder what exactly that might be like, you know? And specifically as it relates to Superman, you know, what might that all be like? Now, I posted some stuff on the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group at this point, at the time that you hear this, it was probably like a month ago or something like that. And I basically talked about a, a little bit about Superman. And the reason I put this on the uh, Facebook group, at least to begin with, was because I was originally expecting that, you know what, I may not even release an episode about Superman during the year 2020. And so this may be the only chance I get. But the more I started thinking about it, the more I thought, you know what, maybe this does deserve an episode all by itself. Just float an idea or two out there and see what comes back to me. So now the way something that you hear a lot with concerning Superman in in, in today's world Basically, the problem with Superman is he's written most often by writers who believe that the character really only has two stories. 
origin and death. Now, I can't, I cannot sign on to that, all right? I've read, at, at this point, I don't even know how many thousands of Superman stories. And one of the things that I've just sort of picked up on at some point in the, in the course of reading all these thousands of Superman stories is that good Superman stories often feature the character balancing his, his professional life, his personal life, and his public life. The challenges given to Superman in good Superman stories are going to test his intellect, his morality, or his priorities. Now, just to kind of draw a little bit of a contrast here, Spider-Man is at his best when he loses. But that's not really true of Superman. Superman is at his best when he wins. And so, ideally, Superman is who we should want to be, but, in pr but practically... Spider-Man is who we really are when we're at our best. So if you ask me, Superman stories should either, they should end either on an uplifting note or on a cliffhanger, which ultimately concludes in an uh, on an uplifting note. Now, if you've been in Superman fandom for any amount of time whatsoever, one of the objections to Superman's very existence that you're likely to hear, whether it's from uh, comic book pros or comic book fans or, or just whatever, is Superman is a character who's too powerful to ever be interesting. And I can kind of, I can kind of underst uh, understand that objection, at least to a point, uh, there are two Marvel characters that I think are very Superman-esque, but they have certain limitations put upon them. And I think it's those limitations that these types of comic book creators or those types of fans, they gravitate to those characters because of those limitations. And those two characters are Captain America and the Sentry, all right? Now, Captain America, he's got the will to save the world, all right? He, he knows what a better world looks like, or at least a better America. He knows what a better America looks like. He's got the will to make it happen. He's got the vision. He's got everything. What he lacks is the power. Now, he's got a, a pretty significant amount of power, but not so much that he can right every single wrong with with America. It's just, it is beyond him. And I think for that reason, the fact that Captain America has a perfect will, but he doesn't have absolute power, I think that is one of the things that really, that for a lot of writers makes Cap interesting, just because he has to pick and choose. He has to make compromises. He has to do this so he has to do this thing right here, right now, so that he can build up to doing something else later, right? He's an interesting character because of his will coupled with his limitations. It's a perfect will. And he's got, let's face it, fewer limit limitations than the average human, but he still has limitations. On the other side of the spectrum, you've got the Sentry, who has... Just for for conversation's sake, I'm going to say that he's got absolute power. I don't think that's actually completely true, but whatever. He's got absolute power. He has the power to to save the world. All right, he 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 can do that. The problem is he very rarely has the the will to do that. Bob Reynolds is he's got a lot of mental trauma, mental handicaps. There are, he, it's like anything. He's got good days and he's got bad days. There are days when he can be the champion that everybody needs him to be. There are days though, a lot of days where he cannot be that, you know, he, he just, he, it's not in him psychologically to be that. And so he's got absolute power, but he's got an imperfect will. 
And so I think that's one reason why fans and creators, they've got a lot of affection for the Sentry. You know, yeah, he's got the absolute power, but there are still limitations to that absolute power vis-a-vis Bob Reynolds' own will. When you get into Superman, he's got a perfect will and he's got absolute power. It's within his power for modern Superman to remake, basically to right every single wrong in the world, or at least in America. It's within his ability to do that. And so for this type of fan or this type of creator, there's really nothing holding Superman back. And there's another type of creator that also fits into this that thinks it's difficult to challenge Superman because because of his power and the fact that he's got very few limitations. Now, the idea that Superman is a challenging character to write because of the amount of raw firepower, what I find is that's most often brought up by comic book pros who think that the only way to challenge a character, any character, is on a physical basis. Now, I usually put that criticism down to the creator having an overall lack of vision for the character. It's not that they're dumb or I'm so smart or anything like that. It's just that they've got kind of a narrow idea of what goes into challenging a superhero. And pretty much, if it's not a physical challenge, it's not a challenge at all. And I disagree with that logic, but I can at least understand that that is their logic. But still... Because that idiotic notion persists, and since there's a, I think there's a very good chance that in the near future, a publisher that is not DC Comics is going to be publishing stories about this character. I think it's just about time to consider going back to basics with Superman. And I guess what I mean by that is Take the character, more or less, as he's presented in Action Comics number one. And I mean the real Action Comics number one. None of this new 52 bullshit. You take the character, Superman, as he's presented in Action Comics number one, and spend maybe the next 10 or 20 years telling stories about a Superman who can leap an eighth of a mile, uh, be injured by a bursting shell, and kryptonite and magic, and who isn't afraid to go outside the law in order to get the job done. Now, Superman in the modern day is usually shown being a bit of a, a, bit of a stickler about obeying the law. And the reason for that is because of Superman, modern Superman's vast, godlike powers a character like that going outside the law, doing what he thinks needs to be done, and to hell with what the law says, to hell with what the authorities say, to hell with what the people want. Guys, that's kind of nightmarish if a character that powerful decides to flout the law, since at the end of the day, nothing can really stop him. You know, and I'm an apologist from way back for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And that's that's really one of the central conflicts that Superman gets involved with in that movie where people are basically accept they're gradually accepting the fact. Number one, that Superman exists and number two. He's got these amazing, vast superhuman powers, he could be the deadliest enemy that the world has ever faced, but he's not. He's on our side. He wants to help. He wants to save lives. He wants to rescue people. He's not here to hurt anybody. And the public gradually coming to accept that, to accept who Superman is and what he's all about, that's really the driving force of that of that movie. The fact is, his amazing power, it, it took the world kind of by surprise. 
they're, at least at first, a little afraid of him. And obviously by the end of the movie, spoiler alert, but obviously by the end of the movie, they understand who Superman is and the fact that he's the greatest hero they have ever known or will ever know. That's the whole point, right? But you, there is that kind of interstitial period where they're not really completely sure about him just yet, you know? And again, it's because of the fact that he has these amazing powers that if he decided he wanted to wipe out the entire human race, uh, no, no, nobody can stop him, you know? So let's roll that back then, all right? A, 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 a golden age type of Superman is less psychologically terrifying to people, and let's face it, uh, face it, less terrifying to readers, because if a golden age type of Superman decides, fuck this, I'm doing what I know to be right, and who the hell cares what the law says, it's like it doesn't really matter that much, because that guy isn't capable of wiping out the entire human race, even if he wanted to. But if he gets to be a little bit too big for his britches, well... A Golden Age Superman can get killed by a runaway freight train, so he's really not worth losing too much sleep over in the minds of the public. And my point in this is to say that what if, again, it could be anybody, Dynamite, Boom Studios, just anybody. What if they get a license to publish Superman comics? And what if they decide that the direction that they need to go in is... Guys, try not to be too literalistic about this. I don't mean literally going back to June of 1938 and telling stories about Clark Kent disguised... Or Superman disguised as Clark Kent. He's working at the Daily Star, and it's very Golden Age type of continuity. I don't necessarily mean... I mean, yeah, I guess it could be set in the 1930s, if you want it to be. But basically, the idea here is to take Superman as a character back to his Golden Age limitations. So not necessarily have him working at the Daily Star for George Taylor and all that. I don't mean that. At least not, not necessarily. But the concept of a radically depowered Superman who who does have a lot more vulnerabilities, who has a lot fewer superpowers overall, who can't fly, etc. That could be a very interesting way to basically go back to square one with Superman and then rebuild his world from the ground up. You know, very golden age type of limitations on, on his powers where he can't do just whatever the fuck he wants just because of the fact that he doesn't have the power to. So a character like that can... He can afford to flout the law because at the end of the day, yeah, he's a threat, but he's not that big of a threat. You know? And anyways. So my point in all of this is to say... Or or here's another example, right? Like uh, Fleischer Superman, Right? That is a that's a character who's that's an iteration of Superman whose power level virtually nobody seems to have any real problems with. There's pretty much nobody out there who objects to the range of powers that Superman shows in the Fleischer cartoons. You know, everyone seems to agree he's powerful enough to do what he needs to do in those cartoons, and no one seems to have too much of a problem with it. Now, the reason I, I keep hammering away over the fact that maybe we need to go back to a Superman who can't fly is because that's another limitation on him. You know, if he can leap like an eighth of a mile, for some reason, that's just a little bit more authentically uh, golden age than even what we saw in Fleischer. Now, I love the Fleischer cartoons. I've got no problem with them. But I'm just trying to give you guys kind of a broad idea of what I'm talking about here. Try not to think literally about Golden Age continuity or literally about Fleischer continuity. I'm talking about just this idea of Superman having a reduced power scale 
similar to what he had in, in, in the golden age. And then just take it from there, you know, but set it in the modern day if you want, or set it in the thirties or the fifties or fucking whatever, you know, don't be too literalistic about this is, is what I'm trying to say, because guys, the direct market as we knew it is smithereens. Now, I suppose that there's an outside chance that DC Comics is still going to exist a year from now. But I've got my doubts about that. And assuming that I'm right, I imagine that AT&T or Time Warner or somebody is going to license DC characters out to a different publisher. And if they do, I hope that publisher remembers that the Golden Age Superman is a good style, that's a good starting point for the character and taking him into whatever the future is is going to bring for him. You know, in case they hire some stupid-ass writer who thinks Superman is too powerful. So, anyways, so... That's really about as much as I had to say, at least about uh, Golden Age, or not Golden Age. What, what, like, what? How, how am I going to think it? Like a, a post DC type of Superman. That could be, I think, a, a a sort of an interesting starting point for it. But guys, this is one of those times I actually want you to send me some emails, send me some feedback, and let me know what you think about this. Like. What are your thoughts about the idea of uh, a Superman, in in a manner of speaking, basically being taken back to the Golden Age for, we'll say, the next 10 or 20 years, so that writers can rediscover everything it is that makes Superman awesome? Like, is that a good idea? Bad idea? Need some improvement? Just let me know what you think. Send me an email. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Send me an email and let me know Let me know what you think. So anyway, now I've got some feedback that I want to work my way through here. This is this was actually sent on, on July the 17th, 2015. Just to tell you that I'm, yes, I'm still catching up. July the 17th, 2015. Subject line says, House of M. This was sent in by my old friend, Fanboy MS Prime. And he writes, Hey, Magnus. So, you reviewed House of M. Or, as I call it, cutting the number of mutants and giving Peter David a a character to make his own. To be honest, I still think they dragged out what happened at the end of that series too long. And only Peter David's X-Factor seemed interested in doing anything with it. And, uh, Prime... The the thing about all of this is I'm not overly, I'm not like super familiar like what was going on with X-Factor during House of M. So I'll check into that and try to get kind of a frame of reference for what you're talking about here. Uh, I don't have, actually, you know what? I don't even know if I've even read the X-Factor era of, or rather the House of M era of X-Factor. I, I do remember something to do with Peter David, but I don't know. I guess I thought it was someone else. Like, for some reason, I guess I got it in my head that it was Matt Fraction that was writing X-Factor at that point. And I honestly have no idea where that's coming from. So maybe I'm completely wrong. We'll see. But anyway, so Prime goes on to say, Though I would recommend Son of M, the Quicksilver miniseries coming out of this, as it was written by a writer that I enjoy, and his Marvel and DC work is at least fun. David Hine might be worth covering at some point on the show, and Prime, I'm, I'm going to check into that, because I got I, I to gotta tell you, Prime, I have a tremendous amount of affection for House of M as a concept. It's a good story. And one of the things that I kind of like about X-Men is that you can get kind of weird, trippy sci-fi ideas like that, where there there are these alternate timelines or uh, perhaps apocalyptic futures. You know, you get kind of timey-wimey type stuff like that. And I think that works really well with with the X-Men. And so this is actually a pretty 
interesting recommendation that, that you're giving me here, son of M. I'm going to check into that. I'll, uh, I'll let you know. So anyway, Prime says, his Daredevil miniseries is very dark, as I got to warn you about, uh, as I've got to warn you about that ahead of time. Very good and interesting, but very dark all the same. His Batman work definitely was dark and good. Then there's also the Avengers House of M miniseries written years later that was also a fun book. A very street-level Avengers team. Also, they denied they existed, so Luke Cage's comments otherwise was just that. Uh, Prime, I'm going to be totally honest with you here. I am completely blanking on any kind of Avengers House of M miniseries. So I'll I'll check into that. I'm not promising that I'm going to cover it at at some point, but I don't know. That, That does sound... That does sound kind of interesting. I don't know. All right. Uh, Prime goes on to say, uh, gotta wonder if... Wait, I think I skipped something here. Because Oh, yeah, here we go. Also, Brubaker's Uncanny X-Men run has an interesting after effect uh, on House of M, as the Russian government wonders why so many of the X-Men avoided being depowered and takes a personal interest in studying how that happened. The X-Men were not exactly happy with that. Gotta wonder if Scott would own up to Secret Wars 3, which was an issue of Steve Englehart's Fantastic Four. (coughs) Now, Prime, I gotta tell you, it's, uh... I'm not quite sure when it happened, but at some point... Excuse me while I open up my Coke here, but at some point... Scott... And we could say, I guess, the rest of the X-Men as a team. But Scott, in particular, just got fucking radicalized. And he's basically a terrorist. And, you know, the thing about it is that is... uh, Look, it's been forever since I've read any of the... X-Men as terrorist uh, type stories. So, you know, a lot of that stuff is just kind of hazy at this point. But my memory of it is it's like whether or not these stories are good or not, and I don't remember them being all that good to tell you the truth, but it's like whether they're good or not, it's kind of beside the point because the point is the X-Men are supposed to be about protecting a world that fears and hates them. And so basically by transforming them into a terrorist organization, it's kind of hard to, to, to root for them. And I don't know. It's, um, it's look, I've never been like the world's biggest X-Men fan to begin with anyway, but it's, there's a simplicity when you think about it, there really is a a simplicity to the X-Men concept that, I don't know. It's like it's gotten completely thrown out the window. So, I don't know. This newer stuff, I just, I don't know. But anyway, Prime goes on to say, on Captain Marvel, Carol has done far better to live up to that hero's hero legacy of the uh, of the first Captain Marvel, or Marvel, than Marvel's son, Jenis. Oh boy, did Jenis Vell end up neck deep in trouble and fall on his butt trying to fill those giant shoes. <clears throat> of course... He, he had great writers covering his journey from the only 1993 Marvel annual character to amount to a damn thing, and possibly so Marvel could keep the trademark to call a title Captain Marvel. Peter David's Captain Marvel books especially were great stuff, but he in the second book went completely insane and rebooted the Marvel Universe, which, as a continuity guy, uh, tend, to use, uh, tend to use to explain some shit Bendis has done like the Infinity Gems working together as a side effect of Janus doing that. Captain America always works to find another way. For Civil War, the Wolverine tie-in was written by Arrow show, uh, showrunner, and it was great. And Prime, if I'm thinking of the issues, the, the, the right issues here, the ones that you're talking about, where basically Wolverine, he's not interested so much, at least in those, in those issues, he's not really interested so much in choosing a side. 
He wants to find out what the fuck really happened in Stamford. He finds the people responsible and he deals with them uh, pretty, pretty summarily. And I like that because it, number one, it kind of cuts to, it's, I think it's very much uh, in Wolverine's character to just cut to the heart of a matter, you know, and not necessarily get lost in political bullshit and all all of this other stuff. But the other reason that I like that story is because ultimately, yeah, Wolverine gets the bad guy, but it doesn't really change anything. At this point, the damage is done. You know, this was a this was a a PR thing. It was a PR war as much as anything. And at this point, the fact that there was something nefarious going on with the new warriors and, and and their confrontation with Nitro and and all that stuff and that's why why things got so fucked up in Stamford. It's like that's not the point anymore. You know, maybe at one time saying that basically the new warriors had been basically set up, that might have been enough to ameliorate the concerns of the public. That's not enough anymore. At this point, too many lines have been crossed. And so from here on in, there's only going to be winners and losers. And there's something about that that just seems so fucking true to life. You know, the fact that Wolverine really did find the villain, the one that's behind all of this. And it doesn't matter, you know, because at this point. What Stanford represents is so fucking much bigger than who's actually responsible for things going wrong. You know, the public perceives that it was the new warriors to blame. And so the truth just doesn't matter anymore. You know, and like I say, I find that to be very believable, very plausible, very true to life. So, and and so anyway, if those are the Wolverine issues uh, related to civil war that you're talking about, I agree with you, man. Those issues are great. And offhand, I don't remember if I ever talked about them on this show. But obviously I should because it seems I've got quite a lot to say about them. So anyway, the one thing that you're forgetting is that just before or even during Civil War was Annihilation Wave. The place where a man named Star-Lord started his rise to stardom as he was un, uh, he was an unknown that was part of the cast to fight the forces of the Negative Zone. First place I remember actually seeing Star-Lord in a comic. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. I... See, Prime, for some reason, look, I'm not a big, I'm not super big on Guardians of the Galaxy or anything like that, so I don't really know, but I guess I I just sort of assumed that Star-Lord had been created like in the mid to late 90s or something. That's not based on anything. That was just, well, that was just an assumption I made. I had, I, I had no idea that he, that this was such a recently created character. So, well, anyway. Great event, and also where Nova became a a cosmic badass. You need to check that out at some point. So, great episode, Magnus, and look look forward to to seeing what other events you check out. And thanks a lot, Prime. I I, I really do appreciate that. It, um, it, basically, you know, your recommendations, I don't necessarily always agree with you in terms of, you know, these are some great stories or anything like that. You and I don't necessarily always agree. But usually, whenever you recommend something, it tends to be worth reading. You know, I've never come away from something that you've recommended and thought, man, that was a real piece of shit. So, you know, you and I have sensibilities that are similar enough that we we find the same basic ideas interesting. But I think our sensibilities are far enough apart that we've got a little bit of room for disagreement in terms of what makes for a good story. A good example of what I'm talking about here, Prime, is I think you called it, I think it's called a dream war, and it's basically kind of a crossover between, it's an out-of-continuity sort of crossover between uh, DC and Wildstorm, where basically all of these different DC and Wildstorm characters are fighting each other to the fucking death. You know, and, and like characters really are dying, which is why this is uh, this is out of continuity, and it's um, 
it's a fun story, but I don't think I got quite of mu- quite as much out of it as you did. But it's like at the same time, never would have read that if you hadn't recommended it to me. So that's a good example of what I'm talking about here. And so since I'm on the subject, uh, or not the subject of Fanboy MS Prime, but since I'm talking to Prime in general, you know, um, I think I've got time for another, another, yeah, another, yeah, another email here. This this was sent through on September the 1st, 2015. So we're moving along here. We're getting caught up a little bit. Uh, this also was sent in by a Fanboy Miss Prime, September the 1st, 2015. Subject line says, Secret Invasion Talk. And Prime says, Greetings, Magnus. Oh, dear Lord, do I have a lot to say about this crossover. Meaning Secret Invasion. And the fact that I literally wrote my own retelling of it that went some different directions and tell a completely different story and not just lead into Dark Rain. That does become important in a bit. And then from there, this is actually a kind of a long email. So I, I think we've got time to get through probably most of this, but I'm... I mean, uh, Prime, don't burn me an effigy if I end up skipping over some some parts of this because this is, like I say, a little bit of a long, long email. So Prime says, or goes on to say, first off, uh, I think he mean Prime. You write the sacred invasion here. Did you mean to write sacred, or did you mean to write secret invasion? So I don't know. So I'm going to assume that you meant to write secret. So Prime says, generally. First off, Secret Invasion, which was the incredible... Oh, wait, what? Or is... That, fuck, I don't... I, you know what? I'm just going to read your, your email verbatim. How about that? First off, Sacred Invasion, which was the incredible Hercules tie-in, was amazing. I loved that story. Chaos War, which came out of it, nowhere near as much. Chaos War just didn't live up to the expectations that I had for it. Next was Jason Aaron's Black Panther issues I read due to researching the events going on around uh, the Earth for the writing of my fanfic. They were awesome. Chala showing why you don't uh, mess with his turf no matter who or what you are. A good story, and it was a pleasure to to find that gem. It was a very Christopher Priest take on Black Panther showing the scrolls shape-shifting isn't everything when it comes to strategy. And also, all tech was taken down on both sides, so the scrolls couldn't uh, burn the country for Morbid. Uh, Nova's part in the crossover had a bit of a misstep to me, as it didn't have the reborn Nova Corps unleashed on the scroll forces hard and heavy, something I corrected in my fanfic. Peter David's She-Hulk and X-Factor crossover in the event was not bad, but I liked Incredible Hercules and Black Panther a lot more. War Machine got to be the lead in Iron Man's book as it was ending in Secret Invasion, and it was okay. Avengers, uh, Avengers Academy's part in the event, I really can't recall that much. It was a 3D man slash triathlon and crusader, among other things. The Fantastic Four Limited series was fun and glad to see... I've never figured out how to pronounce this name, Prime. Is this Leia? 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 I don't know. So I've always, like mentally, I've always kind of assumed it's supposed to be Lija, but I, I don't know. So anyway. The Fantastic Four Limited series was fun and glad to see Lija again. Again. I got into comics in the 90s, so Lysha was part of the Fantastic Four's cast when I was first reading the book, and got the issue where Alicia was shown to be Lysha in the various plastic containers of back issues I got as well. Hawkeye and Echo's relationship got dumped in the trash in this event. Clint Clint got back together with Mockingbird for about five minutes, and then he got together with Spider-Woman. Wonder if Clint's the father of Jessica Drew's kid we'll see in the post- uh, Secret Wars Spider-Woman book. And honestly, Prime, when it comes to that, of all the different characters in the Marvel Universe, I got to tell you, Jessica Drew. Yeah, that that would be just about my choice. Like, if I have to date a superhero, she she would be it. So, anyway. 
Gotta admit I agree with Michael on superheroes fighting a massive alien invasion is awesome. That's actually why I did my Secret Invasion rewrite fic, as the basic idea was great. I just think that Bendis didn't pull it off... didn't pull off what it could be. Also, he didn't even comment on the Mark Waid storyline that happened in Heroes Return that was incredible, or the fact scrolls with the powers of the X-Men nearly conquered the Shi'ar Empire. This was just before the Shadow King story that set up the X-Men going into their 90s era costumes and such that were used in the 90s X-Men cartoon as well. And Prime, you've given me a lot there, but just to kind of focus on specifically the whole alien invasion, heroes fighting massive alien hordes and all that stuff. My sense of Bendis is that his especially with his Marvel stuff, like in the 2000s, his preference was to always, number one, make things street level, and number two, make things kind of personal and intimate, you know? And if what you're doing is a massive alien invasion storyline, there are not very many ways to turn those types of things into street level, personal, intimate stories, you know? But that's always gonna be his preference. And so Bendis would typically he would, my understanding is he, he, he writes Marvel method, kind of, and so he would basically not really have a big plot-oriented, story-oriented, character-oriented thing that happens in a battle. Usually it's just everybody's beating up on everybody, the good guys win, and then, yay, that's the end. You know, whereas, just to kind of put that in context, or rather, in context, like the context of a comparison with other writers, Jeff Johns, when he writes mega epic, huge, sprawling cross crossovers, yeah, you usually have some kind of massive showdown between the heroes and the villains, but the difference is when the heroes win, there's usually a story thing that has caused that. Like they find you know, the secret glowing object that lets them win the day, or they destroy the, the secret remote control that is creating the bad guy's army. There's always some kind of story thing that happens in the big, explosive, action-packed climax that you can have, like, an extended, prolonged sequence. And Bendis just doesn't seem to do that. Or at least he doesn't do that as well as Jeff Johns and other writers. And so that's, I think that's a really a big reason why things like House of M, or his contributions at least to House of M, um, and other things that Bendis writes, they tend to have these climaxes that just sort of end. And then that, that, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. So again, I don't know that to be true, but I just, you see the same thing again and again. It's like Prime, what am I supposed to think, you know? So, anyway. Uh, so Prime goes on to say, One good thing did come out of Wasp dying and coming back. That incredible Hercules established that Hades has a casino that super beings, if they win there, come back to life. Wasp being one of those we see, we see her in the casino and commenting that to Bucky decades to manage to win there to come back. The first three issues of Dark Avengers... Actually, you know what? I'm Prime, I'm putting this back on pause. Wow, I didn't actually know that Bucky actually went there. I mean, Lord knows that that would tend to... That would tend to explain quite a lot, but it's just... I don't know. To be honest with you, Prime, I never really approved of Bucky coming back from the dead, so... I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. Let's... Uh, all right. Crap, I lost my... I lost my spot in... Oh, here we go. Prime's email. Yeah, here we go. A generation molded by superhero movies. That doesn't sound so bad. Though, if Michael Bay's shitty jokes and dumbass human characters is their vision of the Transformers, we got some problems. Hope they went, they went for Transformers Animated, Rescue Bots, Transformers Prime, Robots in Disguise, and such, as those were pretty good. Okay, I'm sure on all but rescue bots, 
to be honest, for that statement. But here's to Michael Bay kicked off directing duties. The one guy in the second, third, and fourth movies as the suck-up screenwriter kicked off and someone actually wanting to write about giant robots first and dipshits never as screenwriter and Robert Kirkman doing some fun stuff with the movie franchise. Will it be better? Will it be worse? Though that one might not require effort in purposely doing so. I'm actually not sure, but it will be interesting to see. Great episode, Magnus, and we'll see if it takes a year for this to be read on air, possibly more. Wreck and rule. <laughs> Fanboy in this prime. And Prime, obviously, it took a lot more than a year. I apologize for that. Um, but like I say, Prime, I really am making a, a uh, sincere and concerted effort to get caught up on all of the feedback uh, that my listeners have sent in. And it's been going on for a long time now. So hopefully I've proven my, my uh, bona fides on this by now. That, you know, I really am serious about getting caught up and... I hope I never, ever let something like this happen ever again. So, anyways. And as it happens, I, you know what, I do think that's actually a pretty good, pretty good place to put a pin in it uh, for this week. So, in, in the weeks to come, I'm really not sure what all I'm going to be talking about. I do want to talk about some some crowd some crowdfunded comics i'm not sure if i'm going to get a chance to do that or what just because my life is getting wackier and wackier by the week so i mean i guess we're just gonna have to wait and see but you know that is something that i do want to talk about at least at some point or another we'll see how things turn out but uh anyway that's all in the weeks to come so i think that's pretty much it for me for this week though so bye everybody i will see you whenever it is that i see you goodbye I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So, join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise! Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And, just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, 
You can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. a podcast called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I release new episodes every Tuesday, and sometimes those episodes are all about Smallville. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville. In my opinion, Smallville is the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in history. Magnus Talks About Smallville is dedicated to themes, story arcs, and character motivations of Smallville. I do a ton of in-depth analysis of each episode of the show, and people seem to love listening to me talk about Smallville. And I want you along for the ride. Check out Magnus Talks About Smallville, a feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, and see for yourself why Smallville is awesome. Magnus Talks About Smallville. A feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Only at twotruefreaks.com.